0: Sometimes those of us in technology think that the solution to every problem is a new piece of gear or a great piece of software. I've been guilty of this a lot lately when I've been thinking about how to prevent data exfiltration. If we could just get the right AI tool in there, we could spot it as it's happening and shut it down. This week's guest is a cyber expert who reminded me that IT has three sides. He thinks the focus should be on process, then people then technology. Hi, I'm W. Curtis Presson, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. I've been specializing in backup and DR for over 30 years and have written four O'Reilly books on the topic. Like me, this podcast is dedicated to those of you who are tasked with the difficult job of backup DR and data protection. This is Backup Central's Restore It All.
1: You could restore
0: Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. And today I have with me a guy who gave me some really good advice. It was really good advice up until it wasn't. Persona Molly, Andi. How's it going, Persona? I'm good, Curtis. I'm curious what this good advice is that was good at the time. This silver bullet that you gave me called the FCC complaint. (laughs) yeah
1: i'm surprised not a lot of people know about this if you have an issue with your cell phone provider or your cable company right or internet provider you call them in you complain to them they give you the runaround and then you spend weeks and weeks and nothing ever happens
0: and you're not getting anywhere exactly
1: and then you have this magic thing called the fcc where you can actually file a complaint and say hey my billing is off or my service isn't right and the the provider literally has to respond
0: to you within, I think it's 72 hours. I'd never heard of such a thing. And being a person who, having worked for the government at a point, I definitely understand the inefficiency of government. So the idea that something could be so efficient was definitely a surprise. The, the, the last time I did this, ironically enough, <clears throat> now as this story comes full circle, I was having problems with Cox as my internet service provider. I put in an FCC complaint. And in the end, we, we, we did figure out the problem. And then I changed to Verizon 5G internet and everything was fine until it wasn't. And then I decided to use this magic bullet again. I got the call within 72 hours. During the time that they were working on it, it went from being an intermittent problem to being all the time. <laughs> the official response from Verizon is, I will obviously be paraphrasing slightly yeah you're right we suck you should probably get a different isp by the way i'm not just complaining about like low speeds my internet would just drop sometimes in the middle of recording one of these episodes my internet would just go away but basically they said the reason your internet is just dropping it's congestion and you should probably get another isp that was their official response i was Dumbfounded, right? So, again, story come full circle. Cox will be back in six days. They will be <laughs> installing the fiber version because I don't have a lot of choices. Our guest today is the host of the Cyber Pros Podcast, a short form podcast, which, by the way, makes it very different from this podcast. A short form podcast that asks five questions in nine minutes. He's our second former Special Forces member, and we're excited to have him on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Rick Mishka. Hello, gents. So what do you cover in nine minutes on that podcast? Yeah, you know, in
2: 2020, I got bored and wanted to build a cybersecurity network, and I wanted to do it fast and had the idea of doing a short form kind of video podcast that that would be be quick. We actually thought six minutes could fit in in. Uh, six questions could fit in nine minutes, but uh, we were way wrong on that. So, so we pivoted down to five. And, and honestly, the, the first and the last question are more, you know, who are you? What do you do? And then you know, tell us a fun story. Or typically we ask, you know, what's your favorite piece of retro technology? The three middle questions are really the ones that we get kind of the, the meat of the mm-hmm. conversation. And it's, it's, you know, why do you love being a cybersecurity professional? Why do you think cybersecurity should or is or isn't a top concern? And then just what insights do you want to share? Whatever they share with us in those five questions, we then actually do something interesting. We, we, we record bonus content afterwards and we focus that bonus content on one, education, two, a little bit of marketing, and then three, we focus on knowledge, right? Just Just what knowledge do they want to share even more of? And we typically do that in 30 seconds to three minutes. And so now our podcast guests get a full week of exposure. They get mm-hmm. the full podcast release. They get a bunch of bonus contests released around it. We're able to bring in a lot of people through a number of different doors. And man, it's it's just been a lot of fun. I've been able to connect a lot of people to, to really just kind of grow the network. You know, a couple of the podcast guests got together and wrote a book. Uh, A couple of the podcast guests got together and started a company. So awesome. Right. (laughs) So it's been fun. Yeah.
0: I like it. I'd like to hear the five questions. Yeah. They're the same five questions for everybody.
2: Typically, unless we get somebody who's a specialist in something. So it's who are you and what do you do? Right. That's right. We'll call that one question. Right. And then why do you love being a cybersecurity professional? That question will change if they're a professional in cloud, if data backup, you know, so if you were on, we would ask you that right. question a little bit differently. And then the third question we ask, you know, cybersecurity is a top concern. Do you believe that's true? And in, in the industry you're in, how does that how does that interact? And then the mm-hmm. fourth question is just, what insight do you want to share? Here's your, you know, if, if you've done your job, you have five minutes to talk and, and about anything you want to talk right. about. And then, if you're a first-time guest, we always ask if what's your favorite piece of retro technology is. Usually I get some, you know, usually I get all sorts of things. Usually it's, you know, Apple computers, Commodores, things like that. I had somebody come back and say the, the semi-automatic pistol, and I was like, that's technology. So here we go. We're going down a completely different conversation. And I have to laugh. I actually, useless trivia, I actually just bought one of my favorite pieces of retro technology in its new form. The Motorola mm-hmm. Razr, so I have phone. the newest, <laughs> the newest flip phone version, and it's so cool because you can actually set it to show you as if you were using the original Motorola Razr. Oh, that is ridiculous. awesome. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's ridiculous. I had the original Motorola
2: Razr. As did I. And so it's fun. I get to be the butt of my own question.
1: <laughs> what is probably one of the most interesting insights from cybersecurity? answers that you've received?
2: Yeah. You know, actually I'll start with the one I get the most of the most insights I get are the idea that cybersecurity has to focus on the people, right? Dozens of different ways that conversation plays out. but That's the most talked about is, is the people cybersecurity burnout, talent acquisition, security gap, whatever that looks like. And it's, it's quite interesting, but the most interesting one that I've ever had was actually the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning as it pertains to cybersecurity and biometrics. And the insights that they shared were fascinating because their company had just gotten acquired, was was putting a bunch of venture capital dollars into this solution that they were actually selling some of the, the solution to Tesla, the way you walk up to your car will mm. unlock the car for you because it knows your gate, along with facial
1: rec and other biometrics. And it's fascinating. It was it was mind blowing what we can do. So it's interesting you bring that up, Rick. So recently my wife and I, we binge watched all the Mission Impossible movies. Nice. And there's I don't know if you remember, but there's a one Mission Impossible where it's like they have to imitate to be the guy and walk through a secure area where it does yep. a gate analysis. And I was just thinking, I was like, wow, technology, it's come. It's like real now. Or the other day I was watching Minority Report. It's like all the stuff they're doing, its that's now become like reality.
2: You should add the Mission Impossible theme to the start of of this <laughs> podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I just rewatched that one again too, Persona. And of course, that technology was defeated by uploading a different gate analysis. <laughs> the first time I saw a computer used to do something that that literally I went, wow. Actually, okay. The very first thing I remember seeing a computer do something that made me do wow was when I was in my teens, you could go to a a police station in Kissimmee, Florida. That's where I was from. And you could give them an address and they could print out turn by turn directions of how to get to there. And I remember going, that's the most amazing thing (laughs) I've ever seen. But the second thing, was I was a consultant at a communications company that was using simulation modeling in a computer to test their device, like to harden their device by like in a computer hitting it with a softball, in a computer dropping that device on the ground. Do you know what that device was? The
2: Nokia phone from back in the day?
0: (laughs) It was the Motorola Razor, my friend.
2: (laughs) There's the full circle. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was working at Motorola in Schaumburg, Illinois. Crazy. Um, Yeah. It was amazing to me what they do. One of the things I'm very concerned about is data exfiltration. Because as a backup and recovery person, I can stop a lot of things. I can stop a pure ransomware attack by just restoring the data. But what I can't stop, if the data is exfiltrated, there's nothing I can do. So the question is, so I think that AI and ML are the next thing for basically doing the equivalent of gate analysis on the outgoing traffic for a typical company and then noticing when something is very different and calling it out and stopping it automatically but so far i'm not hearing a lot of agreement on that when i talk to folks
1: are you are you talking mainly curtis about anomaly detection based on patterns looking for data exfiltration okay
0: yes
2: yeah i mean i will say i think people got a little out over their skis looking at you know unsupervised machine learning and trying to train it to baseline and then anomaly detect. And you end up with either a lot of false positives, or you end up with just a lot of data that the machine learning model is still working on. And I think the world is seeing kind of, I don't want to call it a reversion, but an add-in to a lot of that unsupervised machine learning with supervised machine learning that's trained on data models of both benign and malicious data that allows those supervised models to say, okay, here's the 14 or 40 or whatever number you want of threat vectors that we know, right? EXE files, documents, things like that. And when you have as much data as we have now, you can train these supervised machine learning models to say, oh, 98, 99% of the time we can catch something and we don't need anomaly. And so I think that was the miss. For for me, that's what I'm seeing is people jumped right to unsupervised thinking that anomaly detection was the only way. And we went from signature known crap to let's figure out what the user is doing and hope their behavior doesn't change. And they missed the step. And I think You know, good companies. You know, a lot of the EDR endpoint detection response vendors, a lot of the new managed detection response solutions that are uh, bringing in XDR solutions, have realized that, and they can make that model better by adding in a supervised model as well. I I think that's the path we need to get to to actually see it be extremely
1: useful, but. Mm I guess we'll see i think one of the challenges also with anomaly detection is especially with these unsupervised models you get so many sort of false positives where it's hey the user just did something different but it's normal and the model has never seen it before and of course it's going to flag something and as a you as a security engineer trying to go through those logs and figure out okay what's a real threat what is a false positive that kills so much of your time that what I've heard is a lot of people are like, screw it. It's not worth it. Let me just turn it off.
2: Mm. It's true. And, and, you know, I think the other thing that, that people forgot was they jumped towards the technology and they forgot that there's a whole lot of process and people that need to be in place for the, <laughs> for the technology to work. You know, I know everybody knows the PPT framework. It's, it's used in almost every technology model ever. It was actually created in the sixties by a guy by the name of Harold Levitt as the diamond model. There was four points to it. But when we do an analysis of somebody's cybersecurity posture, doesn't matter what machine learning models, doesn't matter what technology they have. For us, the technology is only about 10% of the solution that we present that they should be looking at. And we talk about, okay, 30% is, is, is the people. Can you provide those? Do you need people to be outsourced or managed? from, you know, a managed service provider, and then 60% of it is, here's your process. If you have a good process, the technology will work. But most people just, mm. like you said, turn it on, all of a sudden they have triple the, the, the alerts and they don't know how to handle it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the, I, I think that was a good point about that people think that technology is just going to solve the problem when in reality even if the it it was able to detect an anomaly there's still a human being that is going to have to read that information view that information and respond to that information because you're not at least i wouldn't think the average person is not going to automatically start shutting off outgoing communications based on an anomaly, especially if there's so many false positives. So there's got to be that person involved. Rick, I'd like to ask you about that 30, 60%. That's it's interesting that you put so much focus on the process. Like it felt, I, I don't know if anything, I, if I was guessing, I'd be like 50, 50 between the people in the process. Thoughts about that.
2: Yeah. You know, I think, you, know, you- I think we all agree that the technology is, is just a component, right? It's, it's supposed to make us better, faster, easier, whatever that you want to look at. And some would argue that the people side of the house should be, you know, higher rated, a higher percentage of what you do. But in today's world where we automate a lot of things, you can remove a human for, you know, X number of automations that you do. But I'm going to take it even further as to why we place such an emphasis on the process side. And that's everything a company focuses on, their business objectives, their continuity, their resilience, right? None of those are cybersecurity based, but all of those have to have a process in place for people to know, hey, that's what my job is. That's what I'm supposed to be doing to progress this company, to make more revenue, to drive bottom bottom line goals. And so if you can create great process, you create great culture and you don't need as many humans because the humans you have are able to just do more.
1: Yeah. You're being more efficient with what you have rather than trying to add a whole bunch of more people to make up for the lack of process.
0: You said it's so much better in 12 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) You should have them on your nine minute podcast. (laughs) Perfect. Rick, based on all the people that you've talked to, what do you think are, one of the things that we like to ask people is, if you were, if you had carte blanche at an environment, what are the, the top five things that you think people maybe aren't doing that they should be doing, right? So we could throw out the, the for me, the three obvious ones, right? Good password management, MFA and patch management, right? So assuming that we're doing those three things, what else do you think companies should be doing?
2: For me, the first one I always tell companies is, is create an incident response plan that allows you to grow cybersecurity culture, but that cybersecurity isn't the thing that's controlling your business. I think too many times they're like, well, I'm I'm beholden to this regulation, or I have this type of data that I have to secure. And they they stop doing good business to do good cybersecurity. And I think you can mm. you can flip that around quite a bit. And I think, you know, that that's one of the, the top ones for me. The second one, it really focuses on the human side, the people side. I think everyone makes the joke we need cybersecurity professionals and we wanna you know, we want somebody who's new to the business but we need them to have a CISSP and 14 years of experience, right? So <laughs> entry-level position. And, and I just, whenever I talk to you know, small to mid-sized businesses or mid-market folks, I explain to them, go find somebody who's hungry to do the job and train them how you want the job done or, or, or pay for their training to get the job to where they need to be. And you don't need somebody who has a CISSP. You don't even need somebody who has a degree. If you have somebody who's hungry, who's done the certification boot camps, they're willing to step in and learn, likely stay with you longer for those reasons. And I think you know, even the big enterprise companies are starting to finally have this aha moment. If I go get the college grad and I train him and get him a bunch of certifications in that first year, he or she is going to stay far longer. The third thing I would say is you need to understand your cybersecurity edges, right? Are you a fully cloud edge? And do you know what that means, right? You're using AWS or Azure, but you're also using software as a service applications. Do you understand the differences? Do you understand that there's an endpoint edge, every user is on an endpoint? So how can you protect your users from themselves by finding a solution that matches your needs on those endpoints and then your network? Some people don't have a network, and that's okay, right? They've gone straight, you know, VPN to the internet, call it good. But understand what those three are, understand how you how you can cover those. And that will lead you down a really good cybersecurity journey. And lastly, here's my brown nose moment for you guys. I recommend that everybody understands what actual data backup needs to mean to them. So if they have an incident, they can recover. And not rely on their insurance company to provide them with investigators and forensics and responders, and then not pay them anyways. So <laughs> those are my four. Those are the four I tend to talk about the most.
0: Go sorry. That was my that's my World Cup moment there. What do you think about that, Persona? Oh, I like those four
1: ideas or things that people should be considering. Rick. For the first one, when you're talking about the incident response, do you find that a lot of companies are woefully prepared? They're ostrich with head buried in the sand. It's not going to happen to me. I don't need to worry about this sort of thing. Or do you think that started to change given all the recent activity around ransomware and data exfiltration and other things like that? I think it's changing. I don't think think we're anywhere near where it needs
2: to be I believe people are starting to have those moments where, well, do I have a continuity plan, right? A lot of companies I talk to, they're like, well, we have, we have a disaster recovery plan. And I'm like, okay, that's great, right? <laughs> if, if a hurricane hits you, you know how to fix the problem. But an incident response plan can encompass your business continuity, your disaster recovery, and all of your, your security systems planning in one document. And if it's done correctly, I think what what most people say is, well, we have the plan. Okay, have you tested it? Have you played <laughs> the tabletop? All right, let's yeah. nerd out. And, and even though you might have never played Dungeons & Dragons, let's go play the tabletop game with you know whatever you want to play, get your in, entire group in, and let's see what it looks like. Usually the point that it fails on is not on the catching of it, not on the data backing up, right? Not on, on recovery. It's, it's on communication. They don't follow or have a good communication path, which leads to their cyber insurance company telling them, Oh, you didn't meet our requirements. We're not paying you for what you had to do to go recover. Mm. And they also forget about the legal aspect. You know, they're they think oh i need an attorney after the fact to help me understand what my requirements are to my customers if i've given up my customer data or my employees if i've given up their data but they that's don't realize late, right that, <laughs> what was that that's too late though right it's too late and and what they don't realize is you can actually protect and get under that 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 lawyer umbrella that cone of silence you know at, as it were, you can get on that early as you're creating the incident response plan. You can have somebody that looks at that plan and says, okay, you now have a, you know an attorney client privilege. You don't have to share some of this information with your insurance company. You don't have to share this with the general public. And here's why. And so moving the legal and the communication stuff up earlier in the plan and really hammering it home, the rest of the plan is process and technology, right? Let's be real. It's, right, oh, right. we found the problem. We fixed the problem. So, you know, those are, I think that's the interesting part that people are starting to finally get this, hey, wait, there are, there are attorneys, there are insurance companies out there who are just, you know, available, but not available at the end. Let's, let's see how we can move this forward.
0: Yeah, that, that would be my, I, I've been pretty consistent with that as well. That basically probably the biggest point of having these discussions up front with, with creating that incident response plan and doing those tabletop exercises. And by the way, for the record, I never played D&D, but, uh, but but I like the idea of a tabletop exercise. But I'm just not, I'm just not that big of a nerd, but I love all the D&D nerds, but they wouldn't let me play. Anyway, sorry, a sad childhood that you're even excluded from nerdhood, (laughs) but (laughs) I digress. The thing that we talk about this a lot is this idea of creating those relationships up front. Don't have an incident and then, oh, we need to find a cybersecurity firm. We need to find a lawyer. We need to find whatever. You need to create those relationships up front because... It's like having a large company in the United States and not having a legal department. I don't know how it is in other parts of the world, but we live in such a litigious society. You're going to be sued for something. And so you have to have a lawyer, right? And of course, you have to have a lawyer, hopefully, so that you have the right paperwork so that you don't get sued, but then you have a lawyer in case you do get sued. You need a cybersecurity team and you need cybersecurity professionals on your side So that when you get a cyber attack, because it is a when, not an if, you have those people in your corner. Does that match what you're saying? Spot on.
2: Yeah. And and it goes back to what we talked about, about that 60% process. If you have an incident response plan, there's your process. And all you do is go and say, yep, we know this works. Just follow the process. So
1: I like that. I also wanted to touch just given... Our area that we always like to talk about. I'm glad that you talked about backup, brick because I feel that a lot of times people forget about it when it comes to sort of incident responses, or even like you said, trying, doing like the tabletop exercise, try out the thing, right? Even for backup, it's like, how often do people go verify? Do their backups work? Are they able to recover their data? Or are they able to test out their disaster recovery plans? I think that becomes really important as part of the process piece in spelling out, yes, periodically you do want to test these things to make sure that things are still working. Cause the last thing you want is, Hey, you got attacked. Now you need to recover. Oops, I forgot to do this or oops, I forgot to do that. And so now your environment's kind of in shambles and you're all scrambling trying to get things back up and running.
2: Or they just haven't hardened their backups because mm-hmm. they haven't checked them in, in, you know, three months and, now your backups are just as bad as when you just exfilled. <clears throat> so hopefully that doesn't happen, but it can, right? So
0: Yeah, the backups are increasingly both a target in terms of to take them out so that the cyber attack will be more successful and also to use them as a source for data exfiltration. I'm trying to raise the awareness of that within the cybersecurity world. And so if the cyber folks hear anything from me, it should be that Somewhere in the corner, you talk about that hiring a college kid and then training them, right? That's There's also normally a college kid, maybe not even a college kid, that's the person in the corner doing the backups because it was the only job he could get. And he didn't necessarily, he's not that person you were, when you said, when you were talking about find the person who has the the desire to do this job, that's hungry. Often, with the backup, the person was just hungry for a job, they weren't hungry necessarily for the site for the, doing the backups. No one is No one's in college going, Man, I really hope that somebody hires me as a backup admin at a company, except you, Mr. Backup. Except, well, you. no, not even I. No, <laughs> I don't. No, this is, yeah, th- it's how I got my job. I wanted to be in computers, I did want to be in computers, and I took the job as backup person <clears throat> because that was the job I could get, and it got me into. The big bank, and and then I just accidentally never got out of it, <laughs> so so that's how I ended up specializing in the rest is history, as I say. Yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, I like that. I really like this idea of figuring out where your edges are because back in the day, right, the edges were the edge <laughs> of the building, right. <laughs> Nobody had computers outside the building. All the computers were inside the building. We had a data center. It was the center of the data, right? That was the way the things were, but now your edges are everywhere, right? There' all this work from home that's going on and the SaaS and the, the cloud data centers, the past services. You're, you are, I, I wonder if you don't have a handle on that today, how does one go about figuring out where their IT department has scrawled to? I, I, I can't imagine how you could start doing something like that.
2: You know, I've, I've seen an interesting trend of companies who have gone the way of not having any location. My my wife's company actually has done that. They have no buildings that they pay rent for. They provide a stipend for every one of their employees to go find a co-working space, which is, which is mm-hmm. really cool for them. But now you're on public Wi-Fi for the most part, and they don't have any... Firewalls, they have no network security. Everything they, they do is is in the cloud, right? Access is through a SaaS application. And they made the intelligent decision that they didn't need all of this network security. They needed to make sure that their employees were protected on the endpoints. Mm -hmm. right? Typically a laptop provided to them or a mobile device. And then they took it one step further and said, all of our data is in the cloud. They're accessing everything that's somewhere in the cloud. We need a security broker. We need a workload protection solution. And that's how we're covering our edges. Mm -hmm. But there's still people hanging on to, well, I need all three edges. Do you? I don't, I don't know, Mm -hmm. but understand why you think you need that The most important edge today is is wherever your users are accessing the data find a way to secure Mm. that and you've secured a majority of of the access points now that doesn't mean you can't still have your users click on something stupid you can't train (laughs) stupidity so (laughs) it's going to happen but at least if you have protection where they're clicking on it hopefully you'll catch it a lot sooner or worst case you fall back to your data backups who are far more protected from someone like you, or the or the kid, that just wanted a
1: job. <laughs> yeah. Or and the other thing is, hopefully, you can also reduce the blast radius. Right.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and you've got to do both. You've got to train the users, and then you've got to prepare to respond when the users don't do what you train them to do. I mentioned this a lot on the podcast, but at that bank where I worked, we constantly trained new employees that one of the things that we always told them over and over again is no one in the IT department will ever call you and ask you for your password. And then the next day after their new employee training, we would call them and ask them for their (laughs) password and they would give it to us a sadly (laughs) high percentage of the time. Um, And people will, and sometimes you'll just ask, sometimes you'll, it takes a moment of just not paying attention, right? A little bit too much muscle memory, clicking on something. So even smart people that are trained and normally do the right thing can also click on the wrong thing. I I know I remember doing that once when I thought I was talking to LifeLock because my employer at the time had subscribed us all to LifeLock it was a spear phishing attack because it was like they knew that I was using LifeLock and so they went right after me or maybe it was just, I don't know if it was just a random phishing attack, but yeah. but I logged into what I thought was my LifeLock account and it very much was not. And I immediately yeah. did all the things well, I needed to do.
1: Yeah. I also remember the other story Curtis you told, just going back to muscle memory, right? It's, I remember you had a story where you got an MFA request and you're like, but I don't remember making that MFA request. Remember?
0: And you were like, yeah, "Yeah,
1: but you actually did do that, right? And I think it can go both ways,
0: right? The muscle memory. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that where I got an MFA request and via muscle memory, I was like, yeah, boom. And then I was like, wait, what did I just do? (laughs) What did I just (laughs) approve? And what it was because I had opened up Chrome and it had 37 tabs and one of those tabs was authentication via that the system that was doing an MFA. So right. I, I breathed a sigh of relief. I appreciate those four things. See, Rick, we probably could have done this podcast in nine minutes and done just those four <laughs> things. We should all be like you. I appreciate brevity where I find it, but no one ever finds it on this podcast. So thanks, thanks a lot, Rick, for coming on and, and talking about one of our favorite subjects. No, thank you guys for having me. This was so much fun. <laughs> And thanks, Prasanna, for reminding me of that sad moment in in my personal history.
1: Anytime, Curtis. I always try to bring you down. And Rick, it
0: was nice (laughs) to meet you as well. All right. And thanks again to our listeners. We'd be nothing without you. Be sure to subscribe on wherever you listen to the podcast so that you can restore it all.